I wonder whether you've ever wondered uh, what it was actually like to have uh, been around Jesus when he was here on earth. We tend to think, because we, we, we kind of know the end of the story, or I suppose the beginning of the story if, in another sense, but we kind of look at it from, from after the resurrection and we kind of think sometimes that maybe he would have been very, very different from everyone else. But, you know, there's an interesting little fact from the Gospels. You know, when Jesus began his ministry, when he started doing miracles, when he started teaching people about the kingdom of God, the people that he grew up with didn't say, oh, yes, oh, yeah, oh, that's it. Yeah, I knew he must, uh, there was something different about him. Yeah, he wasn't like, I don't know whether you saw the um, series Heroes, you know, when those people had these special powers and they were like, people thought, oh, they're a bit different. You know, they did weird things. No, there's some apocryphal stories and no evidence to back them up uh, of that. But, but actually the gospel writers have, when Jesus begins his ministry, the people who hear him say, that's Jesus, that, that's Jesus, that's Joseph's boy, you know. How can he be, how, what's he doing claiming these things? He grew up with us, you know. He made my door, for goodness sake, or, or whatever. You know, he was a, he was a carpenter. Now, from what we do know of Jesus, both in terms of the testimonies about him, he was clearly uh, a lovely man. He was a great guy, a truly human man. And in many ways, he, was, he must have been great to be around. He attracted people to him. But when he started this path of serving God for these three years, it wasn't always easy to have been around him, I guess. Because what he said wasn't easy. He said the kind of things that made people think, just a minute, that must be that. What was he saying that kind of thing for? He was clearly on a mission. He said, I've I've got a particular job to do. And he's very focused on it. Indeed, these chapters we're we're studying through the last few weeks have been really focusing on, he's got this determination to do something that God has told him to do or given him to do in Jerusalem. And it's unfolding uh, as we go through. And, and he called for tremendous loyalty. He started calling people to follow him. And he was, as we shall see in a couple of weeks, well, when we next come back to Luke, you know, he calls his followers for, for great loyalty. And, and with Jesus, there was like nowhere to hide with him. You know, he, was a, he kind of got right to the heart of things. So, you know, it wasn't always easy being with him. There was always something going on in the background. It was as if there was this kind of, as you read the Gospels and put yourself in the place of those disciples, those early followers. There was always something Jesus was going on about that seemed to be bigger in the background. That uh, they they just didn't get most of the time. Other times they thought they got it, but then they messed up in fairly spectacular ways especially Peter, most of the time they were just plain confused, really, about it. And it wasn't until later, it wasn't until after the resurrection, that it all began to make sense to them. So, you know, with all that in mind, we're on the road here in these chapters of Luke's Gospel with Jesus, and and the disciples are with him, they're following him, they're learning from him, they're being drawn into what Jesus is doing, they're getting to know God better through him. But there are others around as well. And we're going to come across some others today. In fact, today's not really about the disciples at all. 
sometimes these are people who were in, in power, part of the religious power at the time. They were the Pharisees. They wanted people to be ready for God's kingdom. They wanted people to be pure and obedient to every tiny little bit of not only the Old Testament law, but all the other bits that they kind of added to it and made up and, you know, all with the best possible motives. But that, that's what they were doing. They were a bit like the Taliban in Islam today, the Pharisees. Very hard line about how they wanted people to, to follow the law of God. They were caught up in politics and power. And we'll see some of them today and also next week. But there were also these ordinary people who are just watching and asking questions of Jesus. They're trying to work out what it's all about. Some of those will become followers. Some of them are just hanging out to see what's going to happen next, to see what's occurring, as you might say. And then there's the ordinary people. I've just said that. That, That's them, yeah. Sorry, I've just said that. So along the way then, we meet three types of people. People who are going to trust Jesus and follow him. The disciples, we see people with agendas who are hostile to him, sometimes afraid of him, and others who are just interested. All through these chapters that we're in, in the middle of Luke's gospel, different people are coming in and out of the picture all the time. But whoever they are, and this is the point, this is where we're getting to, whoever they are, they are all reacting to Jesus. That's the point. Different reactions, but... They're all reacting. Once they they kind of get into his orbit, once they see him, hear about him, learn about him, then they start to react. Now I wonder whether that's like us. Well, we may react to Jesus as we find out about him. Sometimes the problem is that we react to him in ignorance. We don't know much about him. Or we think we do, or we've got stuff that we pick up from other people. But here Luke is giving us three incidents in which people react differently to Jesus. So let's read uh, the the first few verses in Luke 13 and look at this first reaction that we see. Luke 13, verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, So not just the person that asked the question. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, Well, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evil, de- de- you evil doers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Hmm, that wouldn't have been an easy thing to hear, I guess. Not then, maybe not now. Let's see what what, what it might be about then. So Jesus is on the road. He's been teaching. Luke tells us that. He's on this journey uh, towards Jerusalem and his destiny, as it were. And someone asks this question, Lord, are a few people, only a few people to be saved? Now, why was he asking that question? What kind of question is that? 
Now, I think we've got to be a bit careful that we don't read meanings that come from later in the New Testament into this man's question. Okay. Let's look at what's happening around and what might have prompted him to ask this question. You may need to get your memories going uh, and think about, well, what's been going on in these, these chapters of Luke's gospel? What's the big themes? What, what, what might have caused him to ask that question? Well, remember, Jesus was teaching a lot about this being Israel's last chance. Remember the story he told about the fig tree? One more time, let it go for one more year, and if it doesn't bear fruit after that, it's going to be torn up. Remember that? A couple of weeks ago. Remember, a a few weeks before that, he was telling people that they needed to repent or or they would perish, that the judgment would come upon them. There'd be strong, strong warnings to, to put things right, to get things right with God. And he's talking to the Jewish people. He's saying, look, get, get yourself right. Get yourself ready for God. You know, and actually, the answer to that is in Jesus himself. But he's saying that he's warning them, do that now while you've got the chance. Maybe this guy had been in the synagogue last week, the thing we thought about last week, and seen Jesus set someone free, but also seen the religious leader, the vicar in the synagogue, opposing it. And then heard the talk about the kingdom of God growing. Uh, and you, could, you, just, you get the picture. And, and as that man with all, all that stuff. And okay, if he wasn't there all the, in all of those incidents. You know, the great thing about living in the, that kind of culture. As uh, um, Heather's here, she'll probably know. And others who've lived in cultures where people don't read or read newspapers much. Everyone knows what's going on, don't they? <laughs> you know, if, if you're in that culture, everyone would have known about what happened in the synagogue. Everyone would have heard about what Jesus said about the tower that fell on the people that they needed to repent. You know, it would just be out. You wouldn't have to read it in the press or look it up on the internet. Much more efficient, actually. People just kind of knew it because they told each other. And with all of that kind of around in the atmosphere, this man says to Jesus, oh, there's just going to be a few people who are going to be saved. And Jesus doesn't actually answer his question. He turns to all of them and he talks about a door. He says there's a door and it's very narrow. Think of a turnstile. Um, If you've been to St. Mary's Stadium, I see some of us here have uh, many times. As you go in, um, I went there, I've been there a couple of times, and uh, I I was amazed. It's It's a modern building. We've got the old traditional type of equivalent turnstile. Uh, which is not just like one of those at the station where you could leap over if you wanted to, or if you tried to leap over one of those, you'd end up like going through a cheese grater because there's a metal thing. It's because of the whole thing. It's wide enough for one person to go, and only one person can go through at a time. That's how it is. And that's the kind of picture that Jesus says. He says, look, there's this very narrow door, and it's so narrow, like at St. Mary's, you have to want to go through it to go through it. You can't just kind of drift through it. You know, if you're there, you know, and it's amazing how efficient it is, but you know, it's like, not like our doors where everyone can just go in at once. And you know, if you're in the middle, if you're in a crowd, you could get in just by squashing up against other people. You cannot do that at St. Mary's, correct? Is that right? You just, one at a time. That's the picture. But it's not just that there's a limited opening, says Jesus, there's a limited time scale. And he puts into it another picture. He kind of puts a picture of of what's behind this narrow door. Behind it, it's it's like there's there's a feast going on in someone's house or courtyard. And it's going to start at a certain point. And once it starts, the door is going to be closed and you can't get in. That's the, the picture. 
And uh, the owner's there and says, well, I'm sorry, if you're not in now, I don't know you. It's a bit like the bouncer, you know, <laughs> you're not on the list, mate. I don't care who you are, you know, you're not on my list, kind of thing. But they say, but, but, you know, we were around you. You taught in our streets. I was at dinner once in a place where you were eating. And the owner of the house said, no, no, it's not enough. Now, this feast was a picture of what the Jews were waiting for. They were waiting for the kingdom of God at the end of time. And they had this big picture of a feast, and it's going to go through the next chapter. Next week, you'll hear more about it, because next off, Jesus goes to a feast, a banquet, and then he tells some stories about banquets, and it's all about this idea of, of, of being at the feast of God. And the Jews thought they had a special right to be at this feast in the kingdom of God. Special for them. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets would be there. And Jesus says, look, imagine. You're looking in or you can hear over the fence or there's a window and you can see that Abraham and Isaac and the prophets and all those people there. But you're not in yourself. He said, you'll be so frustrated and upset. You'll cry and you'll be grinding your teeth. You know the picture of someone, oh, you know, (laughs) they're all in there. But even worse than that, if you were a Jew, not only are they in there and you're not in there, but who else is in there? What does it say in verse uh, 29? Who else is in this feast with all Abraham, Isaac, all the prophets? What he says, people from the east and the west and the north and the south, that's a code word for Gentiles, non-Jews, what? Non-Jewish people, people from all over the place, any old riffraff are going to be in there with the prophets, with, and you're going to be outside? Ooh, that would make you gnash your teeth even more if you're a Jewish person. So what's this about? What is Jesus saying to them? What is he saying to us? Well, surely he's saying to them and he's saying to us, our response to him is really important. If we're going to be part of what he's come for, what he's doing, then we actually have to go through the door. It's not good enough just to hang around near it, hoping that if there's a big enough crush, you can kind of get in like that as other people go in. It's one by one by one. And Jesus is challenging these Jewish people He's warning all through these chapters, and we'll see it even more in a minute or two, of, of, of if they reject him, there's going to be a great cataclysmic judgment on the Jewish people. And it will be over for them for a very long time. And that's the warning. And that's the warning to them. And that's the warning to us as well. We have to intentionally go through the door. And there will be a time when it won't be possible to go through the door. All through these incidents, Jesus is continually stressing the need to respond. He's saying it primarily to the Jewish people. But that message is picked up in later in the New Testament as, as the disciples take the message and see that actually the kingdom is for everyone. But still, you go in one by one by one. How do you come through the door? Well, when Jesus sent the disciples out in Luke chapter 24, he told them, you're going to go out and you're going to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name. 
We were thinking about that at the baptism last Sunday. It's what that picture is, that we need to turn. We need to trust ourselves to God. We need to repent and receive his forgiveness and begin that new life with him. If we keep reading Luke, and if you're a bit wondering what that might mean, well, read on through the book of Luke. Um, You'll get to chapter 15 in a couple of chapters. Great story about a son who comes to his senses and turns back and goes home to his father. He repents, he comes back, he's welcomed. Keep on reading in in Luke and you'll come across another story in, in chapter 18 of two men in the temple. One of them says, they both go to pray. They both look the same, but actually they're very, very different. One says, thank you, God, that I'm so great. I do all the things you want me to do. I'm marvelous. Amen. Oh, no, P.S. I thank you that I'm not like this tax man, this sinner here. And the sinner is there, and he's down on his knees. He, he said he can't even look up to heaven. He just says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. And Jesus said, that man went home made right go on to chapter 19 you'll meet someone else called Zacchaeus little guy he was uh, not very popular hid up a tree to get so people wouldn't see that he was interested in Jesus he welcomes Jesus into his home he welcomes Jesus into his life he welcomes Jesus into his finances and he's completely changed Jesus says salvation has come to this house how many are going to be saved How are they going to be saved? One by one by one as they turn and trust. So, have you responded to Jesus? Have you come through the door? And if you have, be thankful. But are you living like you have? Am I living as someone who's been forgiven? Someone who's been rescued? Someone with a future, with a new purpose in the kingdom of God? Now, this narrow door, it's not easy for us today, is it? It's not exactly, you know, on message in a very tolerant society. Tolerance is good, nothing wrong with tolerance. But, you know, the idea that, you know, everyone has to be, you know, welcome into the kingdom of God, whoever they are. It's not easy for us, but that's not it. You know, we want everyone to come in, don't we? We'd love it just to be easy. Just come in. If only you could just, like our front doors at Portswood, you know, set an open and, you know, everyone can walk in together. But it isn't like that. It's one by one. Why is that? Why can't it be like, you know, anyone could go in? Well, we get some pointers. I mean, the Bible's got lots of answers to that. We get some pointers as to why in the next couple of incidents... Which brings us to our second reaction and our third reaction to Jesus. Let's read from chapter 13, verse 31 to 35. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. 
How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Two more reactions. First reaction is, if you like, the, the, the positive one that Jesus is encouraging, saying respond. Here's the second reaction. It's rejecting, rejecting him. So what happens? These uh, Pharisees come to Jesus. As I say, they're people with a very strong religious agenda. Uh, they, they, they have a message from Herod. Uh, now, whether Herod's actually asked them to bring this message or, or whether they might be a bit more positive than the regular Pharisees were about Jesus and they were warning him that there was trouble if he stayed around that area, we don't really know. It probably was a pa- an attempt to intimidate him because the par- Pharisees were a very powerful group. They were well embedded in all the stru- power structures and religious structures of the society. As I say, very much like the Taliban in parts of Pakistan or Afghanistan today. And in some ways, they were like a, there was another group that went with the Pharisees that were a bit like the religious police in Saudi Arabia, but that, that's not important right now. But they pop up in the, in the Gospels anyway. But these, you get the picture. This is a powerful group. And they come from Herod. Now, Herod was the king who ruled, the kind of governor on behalf of the Roman Empire, who ruled the Galilee area. That's the area Jesus came from. It's up in the north of the country, opposite end of the country to Judea, to Jerusalem, uh, where Jesus is heading. Now, what we know from Josephus' writing, he was a Jewish historian, that Herod was uh, almost paranoid about security. Well, you can understand that. Lots of governments are. And it may well be that Herod just wanted to get Jesus out of his region so that there wasn't going to be trouble there, whatever. But the point is this, Pharisee, the Pharisees and Herod had very specific, clear agendas, didn't they? And you see, Jesus didn't fit their agenda. They didn't want him around. So they really prefer him to be out of the way. Actually, that's why they eventually crucified him, of course. They just didn't want his agenda. They didn't, he just didn't fit with, with their agenda. Now, people can react to Jesus like that today, can't we? We can reject him because he doesn't fit our agenda. I think, by and large, often this is how uh, the powerful people, the, the people that run the world, the interest groups, do see Jesus. He's just not going to fit into what they want. Didn't then and doesn't now. So what does Jesus do? What's his take on this? Well, well it's interesting. He's, he's not surprised. He knows about Herod. And he, calls him, he sends up quite a robust message back to Herod. He, you know, Thanks for the message. Here's one. You take this back to Herod. Tell him that I know what he's about. I know he's a fox. Two aspects of fox in the culture at the time. Number one was that they weren't very great. Your fox was somewhat kind of slunk around and, and you know, was a bit worthless in, in their thinking. But also there's the one that we have, which was sly and kind of wily. And predatory. So um, Jesus said, yeah, I know what Herod's like. I know what's going on. But listen, tell Herod, I'm going to carry on. I'm going to carry on what God has called me to do. My goal is Jerusalem. He might actually be making a bit of a witty comment here. He kind of says, to, he says tell Herod, Herod hey, don't worry. Uh, when it kicks off, it's going to be Jerusalem. It won't be in your territory. You'll be okay. Although actually Herod was in Jerusalem at the time. And when Pilate knew that Herod was there and Jesus was from Galilee, he tried to get Herod involved in the trial. Remember that? 
So Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, Herod, you know, don't you worry. But the point Jesus makes is this. His goal is Jerusalem, and he must, verse 33, I must keep going. It's a very strong word. You see it in Luke's gospel. It has this idea that it's, it's, it's a big purpose. It's something that, that is going to happen. It's part of my mission, says Jesus. It's part of God's purposes for me. There is no way this isn't going to happen. I must do this thing. It's part of a much bigger purpose and plan. He's going to do what he was sent to do. He's going to bless people. He's going to heal people. He's going to deliver people. And then he's going to suffer and to die in Jerusalem. Now today people will reject Jesus, especially when he's going to threaten their agendas. And they will reject us as his followers too. Jesus said that. But here Jesus says he's going to keep on with what he's come to do. Suffering will not stop him. In fact, his purposes are fulfilled through suffering. And do we need to hear this in our world, in our time? Jesus said a lot to his followers about being rejected just like he was. So how do we take rejection for Jesus' sake? What about brothers and sisters around the world who... Who just feel it. You know, they've got bruises on their bodies and broken arms and lost education and separation from their children because of Jesus and the rejection that they have suffered for his sake. So that's reaction number two, rejecting. But all of this, this talk of Jerusalem leads Jesus to make a comment. Here it is in verse 34. It's actually a lament. It's a, it's, a, you know, it's a statement of great sadness. It's really moving, isn't it? I tried to put some of that in the way I read it, but you look at it for yourself. It's very clear, even in the English translation. Of, it's really clear. He's speaking like one of the Old Testament prophets, speaking out the words of God, at the same time knowing that Jerusalem had killed many of the Old Testament prophets. They were rejected by the people as well. And this lament takes us to the third reaction. Response, rejection, number three, refusal. Refusal, that's interesting, isn't it? See, there's a picture again. He said, I wanted wanted to be like a hen gathering chickens. Now, you know, some of you, well, well, we're in Southampton. Anyone got, got chickens? A few people want chickens. Dawson's used to have them and whatever. Um, but I don't know, when I was a little boy, I lived on the Isle of Wight, we, my dad had chickens and uh, my brother was quite uh, into chickens. And we had quite a few. And you will know, but if you don't, let me tell you what happens when they've got little chicks. You know, they're like ducklings, you know, follow the ducks around on the water. Well, chicks, little fluffy yellow chicks, follow the mother hen all around. And, and if there's a problem, if there's danger, she will kind of call to them and kind of sit down on the ground. And they all, you, sorry, you must have seen it, they all kind of go under her coat. And, and it, it, I remember thinking when I was a little boy, it's amazing. You know, you'd think that there wasn't, because when you see a chicken with feathers on and get one out of Sainsbury's, you realize there's probably quite a lot of space, you know, between the feather and the chicken. But anyway, at that time, as a young boy, I thought, well, it's amazing. They're, they're all under the, under the hen. That's, and that's the picture. Uh, and, and, a, and a hen will do that when there is danger. In fact, there are stories 
um, of, of, of dead, burnt chickens. Burnt, you know, not in the oven, but burnt after a fire in the farmyard. There they are, dead, burnt, but underneath are their live chicks come out after the fire's gone, gone through. That's the image Jesus is using. Jesus said, I wanted to do that, but you were not willing. You were not willing. You refused. Now, here's a very interesting thing, isn't it? Seems to me that here Jesus is saying that your will trumped God's will. It's something to think about, theological people. What is he saying there? Now, I know God's will is a lot more complicated than that. But, but at the time, Jesus is saying, I was willing. That's what I wanted. But you refused. You wouldn't. And, and this, this image of the hen and the, and the feathers and the covering is used of God in the Old Testament. Sometimes God, the images of, of wings and it refers to an eagle. But other times it has this idea of the refuge in the, uh, in the shadow of his wings or under his wings. Psalm 91 says, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. Jesus is putting himself in the place of God. He's saying, that's what I wanted to do. And there's pain. Can you feel the pain in his voice? See how strongly emotional the language is. Jerusalem, Jerusalem twice. How often, he says, repeatedly. How often. This is not just a, an occasional side thought. Oh, I must think about that sometime. It's how often. Jerusalem, how often. This is what I wanted. And, and what does it say? I have longed to gather you. Can you feel that? Can you feel the... The, the love and the, and, the, and the pain in God's voice here. I wanted to, but you refused. It's a challenge, isn't it? We can refuse God's love. We can reject God's son. Or we can respond and go through the door. But the thing is, until the feast is ready to begin, the door is still open. So I want us to think, not to, just, uh, not to forget that. Refusal and rejection will not be final until that point. Now still the point is, get on with it, get through the door if you haven't come through it. But don't be in despair thinking, oh no, you know, nobody's going to get through it. People are refusing. People are are resisting God. They're saying no to him. That's the end of it. It will be the end of it once the door shuts. But until the door shuts, the opportunity is there. And here in this passage, it talks about the last being first and the first being last. You know, there was someone else uh, in the New Testament who called himself the chief sinner. The worst sinner there could possibly be. He hated Jesus so much that he persecuted the followers of Jesus as if it were Jesus. And he killed them. He signed their death warrants. And and we know that's the case because when he encountered Jesus, Jesus challenged him on it because he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why do you hate me so much, Saul? 
And what happened? Saul became Paul. He became, he says, the least believer, the least of the apostles. He became apostle. He came through the door. Plenty of people have. C.S. Lewis, hero of some of us, he hated the idea of God. He lost his mother when he was a young boy. He went through World War I. He saw stuff. He came out and he said, I'm an atheist and that's where I am and that's where I'll stay. But something changed his mind and he went through the door. Some of you may have had that kind of experience. A friend of mine, he's a, a, a man called Grishma, Grishma Parajuli. He's from Nepal. Uh, back in the uh, 80s, he went to church in Nepal so that he could spy on the people in the church and report them to the authorities because he was a high caste Hindu and he hated Christians. He hated Jesus. At the time in Nepal, in fact, right up until 1991, if you were reported or if you were baptized as a believer, so those, I don't know the young people are in revolution, but those who were baptized, Hugo's here and, and Luke's probably around somewhere. Um, you know, if you're in Nepal in, before 1991 and you were baptized, you would go to jail for a year if you were reported. It was against the law to be baptized. It was a Hindu country. It's against the law to be baptized. If you were me, if in, like in Hugo's case, you would think it's bad to be in for a year, Hugo. Uh, myself and Sarah, uh, we'd, we'd be in for seven years to prison for baptizing somebody. That's a, that's a good thing. And Grisma, my friend Grisma, was you know, in the congregation so that he could report people. Well, you know what happened. Well, you don't. You can guess. <laughs> he went through the door. He became a believer. He's a pastor of a big church in Pokhara, Nepal now. The door is still open. More about that next week and the banquet that's behind the door. So how do we react to Jesus then? Are we going to respond to him? Are we going to reject him? Or are we going to refuse him? And look, there will be others in our worlds who react in these ways. But again, notice, Jesus never stopped loving Jerusalem. He doesn't say, Jerusalem, how often I would, but you wouldn't. And so, I'm out of here. Does he? He goes on to Jerusalem. He dies in Jerusalem. His love continues. Actually, like the hen in the illustration, he goes through the fire in Jerusalem. So that people can be rescued and find refuge. Though Jerusalem at that time refused, he kept on with the mission so that we, we can come through the door, we can be there, us Gentiles, with Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and all the prophets celebrating God's kingly rule in a great banquet one day and a life that's uh, good and blessed as well as hard on occasions. But more about that next week. Let's pray. Before I pray, if you want to talk to anyone about anything like this, uh, anything I've said, if you think really it's time you came through that door, after the service, just come down and pray with somebody. Talk to them. Don't, don't miss the opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his willingness to go on loving Jerusalem 
knowing that uh, Jerusalem would refuse him. But also, Lord, making it possible for us to go through the door and to know that freedom and life and blessing in the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray that we may live like people who have come through that door. We pray that we may live in the light of your kingdom reign in our lives. We pray that we may be able to to share your goodness to others. And although, Lord, we'd love to be able to drag people through the door or push them through, Lord, we pray that as we love and care and share your truth, we pray that others that we know who we care about will themselves too come through the door and know all that you have to offer for eternity. Lord, continue with us, we pray, as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.